We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in to another BuzzBeat. Thanks for joining us again for another episode. This is Richie, and we've got another film rewind for you where we take a look at one Hornets player and their performance from one game this season or this past season. We've done one with Terry Rozier already against the Milwaukee Bucks. We've also got one on tap early next week for LaMelo Ball. But as we get into this, I wanted to welcome on a guest to look over the game. Uh, we've got Chase Whitney of the All Hornets podcast. I know I've been on your podcast before, so I'm just kind of returning the favor here, Chase. How's it going? Uh, it's going very well, Richie. I appreciate you returning the favor. It's a pleasure to be on here. Love the work that all you guys do, and you definitely picked a, a good guest to have on for this one. Is I mean, I, I've got to be one of the foremost PJ Washington stands among Hornets media and fans, so should be a good one. Good, and it, we'll, we'll also talk about you know, his situation as it stands after the clips. And I, I did not know that about you. I did not know that you were that big of a, uh, a PJ fan. Where, where would you rank them? Like on your favorite players on this current roster, like, like top three. Yeah. I mean, I think he might be number three, number one for a uh, Terry Rozier is like my favorite NBA player. So he's got to be number one for me. Uh, Lamelo's number two. Just, I mean, it's hard not to have best player on the team near the top of the list, but yeah, PJ's probably, probably that number three for me. I'm, Big fan of his game and what he brings to the team. And as Chase mentioned, we're, we're going to look at PJ's best performance of the season against the Thunder in OKC on March 28th. And unlike the one we did with Rozier, we will have some defensive clips thrown in here as well. PJ actually finished with 43 points on 73% shooting on twos. He went five of nine shooting from distance. He really feasted, I, I think, like in the floater range in this game. And you'll see a couple clips uh, of that variety. He had six rebounds, five assists as well. There is a video and an audio piece to this. So we will do our best to illustrate what is taking place on the court, the good, the bad, and the in-between. And if you're looking for the video version, our BuzzBeat Plus subscribers already have that delivered to your inbox. For the YouTube version, it will be out on Monday, August 28th. So just take a look at that. So we're going to go ahead and get into number clip number one. And as always, uh, we play it one time through, and then we'll go ahead 
and talk about it after it finishes. So uh, what we've got here is the beginning of the game. It's 0-0, first play of the game, and you've got this horns alignment with Svee and McGowan's in the corner and PJ and Richards at the elbow. And, you know, we've mentioned these players at the start of the game. This, If you looked at the lineups, I had to go back and look at the box score. This was a very depleted team. There was no LaMelo, no Hayward, no Mark Williams, no DSJ. I don't think there was Ubre at all as well. Like this was a very depleted team and you would not expect that the Hornets would come out on top here, but they did. So anyway, the pass comes to the elbow. It's kind of like an elbow get situation where Richard sets the screen for PJ as he turns the corner here, as I've got it paused. And you've got OKC here with both Jalen Williams in the game here. The, the one that is guarding PJ is the one from Santa Clara. And then you've got the big Jalen Williams who is in drop coverage. And like I mentioned to start this, he really did feast in the uh, the floater range chase. And the opening bucket of the game, he hits this running floater as he comes around this screen. The other Jalen Williams is backpedaling on the drop. And I feel like he really did add this to his repertoire this season where he just got a little bit better and had a lot more volume here in the floater range. So Chase, do you see anything that sticks out to you on clip number one? Yeah, I mean, I had the same takeaway from this one, too, is like right off the bat, Cliff is obviously trying to get him going with the lineup that they had out there. But it was specifically the type of shot that they went for. Like he really did add this type. I mean, especially coming off of the screen like this, like a couple hard dribbles into the paint and just a be- like a beautiful little touch shot coming off of his fingers like that. And the last couple of seasons, I looked up the volume that he ha- had been at at these type of shots in that range leading up to this year, because obviously he didn't have the type of creation load in his first three seasons that he had last year with all the injuries, basically being the only guy that really played in more than like 60-ish games. That was a big part of the rotation. So he did shoot greater than 50% on all field goals within nine feet of the rim this year, which kind of encompasses like all these floater, Mm -hmm. like push shot type things that he pulled out of his bag this year. And in 21-22, he shot like 44% on 55 total mid-range field goal attempts. This past season, he took 317 mid-range field goal attempts. He is like quite literally like quadrupling his volume in some of these areas. And the efficiency doesn't fall off as much as you'd think. It's only like a couple percentage points, like pretty much across the board. And like, I feel like one of the bigger criticisms with him this year was that he maybe wasn't as efficient as he was in years past. And that's definitely true from three, but with the increased volume and the, the offensive load that he had, like only dropping a couple percentage points on like extremely tough shots like these. Like, I think it shows that he definitely got better at them overall, even if like the small sample size may have clouded the overall efficiency the first couple of years. Yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, if your efficiency is going to drop, but your volume increases that much, like you pointed out, does it really matter? Probably not. Right. You want to see his role evolve a little bit. Like if he's a guy that just stands in the corner like he was like his rookie season and only shoots, you know, pick and pop threes or threes from the corner, you know, you you only have so much. And when you put the ball in his hands, probably a lot in this game because there was no other player out there that could do this type of stuff. But I think, you know, in this past season, they did put the ball in his hands a little bit more frequently. And you have to have something off the dribble. And I feel like this was like his go-to shot off the dribble. Yeah, it definitely was. He has like this really great ability. And something I really like here too is this is like a big to big pick and roll, which a very nice thing for the Hornets to be able to have to pull out in 
a, a time like this where you really don't have too many options as PJ being your primary shot creator, like that's not an ideal scenario. Like when the Hornets are fully healthy, he's what, like the fifth best shot creator, fourth best Probably. shot creator on a good night on the team. Like, but to be able to pull this out on the first play of the game and have him, he takes like these dribbles and he leaves like you couldn't put a piece of paper in between him and Nick Richards' shoulders on that. Jalen Williams just gets completely taken out of the play there. Like he has no chance of fighting through that. And if he goes under, like obviously PJ is a good shooter and maybe right off the bat, like that'd be something you'd be okay with giving up. But clearly they didn't want to do that on this play. And I mean, it basically just gives him either a ton of room to take that floater, which he did sank it easily. Or if Jalen Williams, had, big Jalen Williams, I, I, this was very confusing when I was taking my notes for this. I don't know how Thunder fans do it. I don't know how Thunder no fans idea. do it. No idea. Like, do you just, t- do, I mean, I know they do like the J-Dub is like Jalen Williams number eight. And Jay Will, I think, is uh, Jalen Williams. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I knew they had two different nicknames, but I didn't know which was attached to who. So right, I think that I think that's how they differentiate. But like Arkansas Jalen Williams, Santa Clara Jalen Williams, yeah. that was how I was doing it yeah. in my notes here. But I mean, if the Santa Arkansas Jalen Williams had taken a step forward, he obviously would have just had a very easy <laughs> either lob or dump off to Nick Richards. So very good option for them to have right there, and worked very well right out of the gates. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah. All right. Clip number two is coming your way, and this is the first defensive clip, and you've got Hornets down... We've got to move along in the game here, but we do go in sequential order. But this is 30-36. Hornets are down, and you've got P.J. on the weak side block. And I'll pause it when it gets to that point. So he's on the weak side block, 
he is kind of manning the paint here at this point, and they're trying to set up a staggered screen for Trey Man. And you know, Trey Man doesn't use it; he actually goes underneath the basket. And instead, uh, Poku, who is attempting to set the screen for Man, ends up actually popping out for a wing three right there. And PJ, because he's he's trying to figure out, okay, where's Trey Man going? Can I help out? He's going underneath the basket. He kind of gets caught a little bit a ways away from Poku. I think this is a smart move for the Thunder because PJ is hanging deep. But I still think with all the room that he has to cover, I think that PJ does his best effort to affect this shot. Like he fights through the defender right here and tries to get a hand up in uh, Poku's face. And he, he misses it. And the ball eventually goes out of bound for this turnover. So I don't know if it's necessarily like an awesome defensive clip, but considering where he was and he was trying to play off a little bit because he was worried about Trey Mann and the way that Poku kind of just pops out to the wing, he does his best to kind of fight over and contest this shot. So I don't know what you would grade this as uh, on your end, Chase, but for me overall, like this is an above average defensive play for PJ. Yeah, I agree. When I was like, Watching this one back, I was trying to just like put myself in his shoes because say Poku had made that shot and like, you know, some coach got upset about it. Right. If say Trey Mann had actually been able to get open in some way or they had tried to make that pass to him cutting the basket, he obviously would have been right there to deflect it or maybe even steal it. Or, I mean, Bryce McGowan's theoretically could have taken a step out or something to make that shot more difficult. And then PJ could have just stayed right there. And I think that's Jared Butler, number 14. Um but then I, that obviously would have, you know, that would have been a whole thing to have to communicate with McGowan's. But I mean, either way, like I, if the effort that he makes to at least affect the shot and not make it a wide open three for Poku, who is at least a decent shooter from the wings. I, I, I too, I thought that was pretty good effort to make right there too. And ultimately they do get the ball back because it just obviously rolls out of bounds in the corner there. So it was a, it was a good possession from PJ. I thought too. You understand why he was so far away from Poku because he was he was in a help position on that weak side block. All right, we'll go over to clip number three, and we're going to go back to the offensive side here. At this point, second quarter, Hornets are down 32-38 with seven minutes left to play in the quarter. And this is another setup uh, where there's Horn situation. And Horn situation, if you guys are not aware, you've got two people in the corners, two people right here at the elbows, kind of extended outside the paint. So there's Maladone dribbling to the right, and then PJ just kind of pops to the top of the key. It's almost like he didn't set the screen, but he just kind of gets out in that open space. I feel like when I watched this chase a couple of times, I almost feel like PJ traveled uh, when he first got the ball. I don't know if you noticed that or if, if that kind of crossed your mind. When he caught it initially, he turns, and it just feels like he shuffles his feet, but it, they're not going to call that in the NBA. It's hard to tell. But he switches the action from the right side of the court to the left side of the court, and he's able to spin over Trey Mann, and again, hit this like floater, which we talk about he does a lot in this game. And to be honest with you, I actually don't think OKC should be all that concerned or upset with this possession because Trey Mann you know, is giving up some inches to PJ, and you would think that a 6'7 forward would be able to kind of create more room with his power off of that spin, out-muscle that 6'2", 6'3 guard there. But by the same token... We, we talked about this at the top on clip one where because he has been given the option to, you know, dribble the ball a little bit more this year, you're kind of seeing some of the guard skills that he has. He's not he's, he's not a traditional big uh, in the way that you, you think of him. He almost has some two, three abilities when he dribbles the ball and he looks like this. But you almost wish he would have gotten a little bit more powerful and able to kind of clear more space out because this is 
not a tough. I mean, it's a, it's a contested shot. Like, you know, Trey Mann is right there. He doesn't really lose any ground. Yeah, this type of shot was like the year that he was in the draft was kind of like the first year that I really watched like college basketball from like a draft scouting lens. And this was the type of shot that I remembered him hitting quite a bit when he was at Kentucky. These like mid paint area, like carve out a little bit of space with your floor or with your shoulder, just kind of float it up over your shoulder. This is a very reliable move for like a ball handling four man to have in the NBA, because like you said, Trey Mann is just smaller than him. Like there's nothing he can do about that unless he basically fouls him or just pulls off some crazy block at the last second, which only like the most athletic and defensively savvy of guards can do. Or it's it's just going to be against somebody that's bigger than him, in which case he probably wouldn't go to that move and he'd be able to just beat them off the dribble a lot easier than he could get by Trey Mann right here. I mean, there's really nothing the Thunder could do. Like you're right. If I mean, if Poku steps up, and tries to help at all. Like there's a very easy lob over the top to Kai Jones from a good passer in PJ to an extremely good athlete in Kai. There were a couple of plays in this game actually that Kai made as well that were very athletic, like put back dunks and off of cuts and stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure that they would have figured that one out if the Thunder had done anything other than what they did right here was kind of just play one-on-one straight up and live with the results, which P- PJ definitely had the results going in his favor in this game. Clip number four. Here we come. Uh, we've got, Jumping to the third quarter here. Uh, Hornets are actually down 13 points at this point. And we'll let it play one time through for the viewers on YouTube to watch. And this is one of my favorite clips. It's hard to tell how this initially starts. I don't know if Richards is trying to set a flare screen the start of this clip. But anyway, PJ just kind of stays put at the top of the key. Uh, Nick is kind of settled in the same area. And he gets the pass right here where I have it paused. And he immediately pitches it to PJ. And as he is turning the corner, we've got 14 seconds left on the shot clock. So not a, not a ton of time. They've got the floor spaced. It, it's like a five-out situation here. Nick Richards is setting a screen on the top of the key. I actually think that Jalen Williams does an awesome job, tremendous job fighting over the top here and is able to squeeze through Richards and PJ. You were talking about the screen earlier, how there really wasn't a lot of space. And to be honest, I don't think there's a lot of space here either, but he just makes his way right there and is able to squeeze through. And you've got Dort, who's kind of protecting the gap here. But having said that, like PJ does a good job splitting these two and is able to uh, create an advantage. At this point, Dumps it off to Richards with the other Jalen Williams stepping up and gets the assist there. It's it's a very unselfish play. He does most of the hard work and just rewards Richards for running the court here and getting downhill towards the rim. So, you know, nothing too crazy about this play, but I do want to applaud Jalen Williams fighting over the top. And, you know, it's, it's a nice little assist here from PJ. Yeah, the Thunder have a lot of very good screen navigators on their team, like Shea Gilders, Alexander, Ludor, obviously. Jalen Williams proving an I mean, if you can get through Nick Richards and PJ Washington, you've obviously got some skill in that area. But I was watching in all of PJ's minutes in this game, him and Nick scored off of either PJ scored or PJ assisting to Nick on four big to big pick and rolls. And I mean, I think I mean, they must have only ran like five or six of them. So obviously a pretty high success rate on that type of play. But I mean, this is like a wing move that he makes when PJ comes off of the screen here. I mean, this is not that it's a huge thing, but he's also going left here and splits those two high level defenders makes an easy, like drop off pass. Like after he gathers the ball right there, the body control and strength and like ball handling from a guy that, as we've said, like is like a fourth or fifth option 
when the team is fully healthy. Like this season, I think was really, really beneficial in that regard because that was something he hadn't gotten to do all that much anyway, leading up to this year. And even if he won't get to do it as much in the coming years, even if he's on the Hornets or not, like the, in the next couple of seasons, like these reps are very beneficial to be able to do in a pinch when your team needs them in a, in a playoff scenario, like someone on your team needs, doesn't have a go and you need a bucket from a role player. Like we all know that those famous role player games in the playoffs or late in the regular season or something like that. Like these types of skills are going to translate and be able to put him in those situations. I think in ways that he was not able to do before when he was mainly just like a spot up shooter, stationary passer and, like versatile front court defender. Like he can really handle the ball and get to the rim now, I think. Yes, I would agree. I think that's something that he's added uh, to his game. As we move on in this game, the Hornets are slowly creeping back. Third quarter at this point, they're down nine. You've got Theo and Richards running an empty pick and roll here on the right side. And with this screen, they're able to eliminate, you know, Giddy from the play here. And at this point, I think. Theo does a really good job in terms of manipulating the defense. Uh, you've got Isaiah Joe, who has to help off uh, Savi in the corner there. He's able to manipulate the defense with that fake pass, and then he kicks it out to Svi, and then it gets swung to Bryce, and then to PJ for the top of the key three. That whole, I mean, this is probably set up more so by that initial action, but PJ does a really good job of drifting to his right, creating that extra space, staying very balanced for this straight-ahead three-pointer. And so the rotation from Thunder, they're just, you know, obviously a step behind because of that initial pick-and-roll right there with Richards and Maladon. So, you know, past couple of seasons, I think P.J., he's been shooting more above the break threes because he has been playing more of that five role. I know he's the four here in this situation, but I think when we first thought of P.J., he was more of a corner guy. But I, I do like how he's broadened his three-point shooting to not just corners, but but above the break as well. But this is it's perfect, perfect balance, perfect shot, and straight ahead. And the Hornets are kind of making their comeback in this situation. Yeah, I mean that above the break threes was another area this year where he had career high volume of 329 total attempts. 220 was his previous high uh, in seasons before that. So I mean. Another very good volume season. I think he shot 35% on those attempts as well. Like, that's a very respectable number for that type of volume. And, I mean, like, that extra, like, two steps he takes right there, like, the shuffling his feet. He doesn't cross his feet really either with, like, perfect, like, wide set balance, like, great footwork on the shot prep. Like, that is the stuff that we've seen in the last couple of seasons that he has really perfected as he's become, like, one of the better like spacing for options in really like the whole league at this point. I mean, that that is classic PJ Washington stuff right there. Yeah. It's a very underrated part of the play. I, I think, you know, he probably still could have made the three, but having drifting over a little bit over there, he probably gets his rhythm a little bit better too. You know, he's not like at a complete standstill. He's moving a little bit, but the way that he's just going straight up and straight down, it's a very, very pretty motion there. All right, we'll move on to clip number six. We're still going to be in the third quarter at this point in the game. And the Hornets at this point are down 73-81. You've got a five-out alignment in this situation. Well, I guess Nick Richards is inside the arc, but he's setting a wide pin down for P.J. on the weak side. And this is really just like a quick hitting action. This play is pretty quick. This clip is pretty quick. He curls off that wide pin down. And you've got Dort, who's a very awesome defender. I love the aggression here with PJ in terms of taking on the physical Dort, 
able to withstand some physicality. He's not just a finesse guy. He's got some power to him as well, even though he's undersized. If you want to call him an undersized five, whatever you want to call PJ, he's a little bit undersized there. Dort, Dort has some physicality. And as we're noticing a trend in this game, it started with clip one, first play of the game. I think clip three even had this as well. Like the floater game for PJ was just awesome in this game. And that's something that he has added. So I do love the physicality here, Chase. Yeah, I mean, at this point in the game, like he was absolutely cooking them. I believe he finished with 43. I think 23 of them were in like the last or the fourth quarter. And I, I think he also had a good portion of that 43 in the third quarter as well. Just fantastic second half. Like the defense is so locked in on him. Like if right at the end of the clip, like right as he's about to go up, all five of them right there, look at how every single one of them is just staring at him. If he had stopped and like collected himself right there, he has two easy kickout passes, like good up fake and draw foul. Like you just have so many options when you're that locked in and the defense is putting that much attention to you. Like, and even at the beginning too, like you, like you, Lou Dort plays really good defense on him here, but like the long strides that he takes to get around that screen and like those two huge steps, like to get from basically like a couple steps back from the elbow into the middle of the paint. And then the like hard dribbles, Drops his shoulder a little bit. Like that's definitely something that he's gotten a little bit more more favorable towards was dropping his shoulder into guys and using that strength that he has. But like to be able to dislodge Lou Dort in that way, Lou Dort's not small. Like he, he's one of the strongest like backcourt defenders in the league. Like you're definitely you've got something going in terms of like the downhill speed and the force that you can generate going to the basket. You can move him like that, and obviously to maintain the touch too, like going downhill and after that contact is is pretty impressive as well. Yeah, the physicality at the end of the play. And I think Dort does an awesome job at navigating the screen because in the yeah. beginning, I have kind of have it paused where he's trailing PJ. But once when he notices the curl, he does a good job of adjusting right there and goes under. And he's right there where PJ now has to try something else. So he tried the curl. That didn't work. Let's try some physicality on Dort and knock him back a couple feet to get that off. For this last clip, I actually coupled the seventh and the eighth together and i'll talk about why i did that there's a very similar aspect to both of these and so we're moving to the fourth quarter here and we have clip seven and clip eight back to back i'll let them both play and you'll see why i clipped them back to back and i think they're actually on back-to-back offensive possessions i think uh the timing just kind of makes sense so anyway clip seven clip eight They enter the ball to PJ kind of like around the high post area. He's got his back to the basket. At this point, like Chase was saying, he's feeling it. He scores 20-plus points in the fourth quarter. The score is 106-103. Hornets are up three with eight minutes left to play. And he just goes to work in this seventh clip, faces the basket, spins, able to get the end one. So the next clip, clip number eight, same start, same start. They, They enter it. The only difference is they're having to loft this ball over Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And with this empty side over here, obviously no one's over there to help. It's got to come from the weak side. And when it does come from the weak side, you see two other players get in the paint and PJ wisely kicks it to Svi for the corner three. So the reason I paired these together, it's on back-to-back possessions. It's the same initial action. And because of this and one here, Chase, that's able to set up the next possession to where, okay, PJ's got it going. Let's converge. 
and then he wisely kicks it out to three. So I thought these were really good back-to-back possessions from PJ here. Yeah, that is great. Like, no understanding the pace of the game in the moment and knowing what what to play to make and what is the right play. Like, this extra half step he takes right there, too, but like drifting over a little bit, like into the paint, just to keep the defense guessing for like another split second before they can close out or close into PJ and before a, a defender can rotate over to Svi, who is also doing what PJ did a couple of clips ago and wisely drifts over yep. like one yep. or two steps so he can get a little bit of extra space from Josh Giddy right there as well. I mean, this back to the basket stuff, like I had always viewed him as a very good like stationary passer but i think he took a step forward as like a face-up score and just back to the basket score in general this year like in the first clip he catches it then then faces up spin moves back into the contact and like easy touch finish off the glass like the contact like barely affected him at all like and the ability to maintain like a tight dribble and keep the ball control through that is like way harder than it's made out to be, especially at the NBA level where nearly every defender that's at the rim is a very strong, physical, like lengthy guy. And like the, and and doing this on the next clip, like the, that's like pretty deceptive, honestly, like learning, being able to adjust on the fly like that, just come down the next possession or a couple trips afterwards, sling one out to the corner. And this is in the midst of a huge run too. Like I think a couple clips ago, the Hornets were down by 13. Now they're up by four. And then Svi hits a three here to put, to put him up by seven, like in the middle of the fourth quarter. Like, And this was also like, I believe this was a pretty big win at the time. Like, obviously, it's late in the season. OKC's like pushing for their best possible play-in seed. The Hornets have, what, two healthy rotation members in the lineup in this game? Like, I think it's just PJ and Nick were the only real rotation members that were actually available in this game. I mean, then they're making like a late fourth quarter comeback led by a huge scoring outing from PJ on a diet of shots that we hadn't really got to see him take other than, you know, in a couple other instances in which he was the primary creator when everybody else was out. And I mean, he, he really came through this time that it was a great end to the game. And these last two plays are great example of like the kind of adjustments that he was making throughout that night and the type of shots that he was getting and, the way that he was able to use his functional strength and ball handling and the improved finishing and the inside of the arc to get there. Yeah, very efficient, and they needed him to score. Obviously, they did not expect him to score 43 points, but he obviously felt it in that second half, and and like you mentioned, 20-plus points in that fourth quarter. So as we're talking about P.J., it only makes sense to kind of talk about his situation. And as of this moment, he's technically still unsigned, and the Hornets haven't offered him a contract to his liking. There have been rumors out there that maybe he's received something close to 13 to 15 million per, but it sounds like he's holding out something closer to 20 million per season. And here's the situation. There's, there's always the option that he can sign that qualifying option of 8.5 million. That would be for one year and he'd be an unrestricted free agent come 2024. And technically speaking, that qualifying offer, unless they both parties extended that that will extend or that will expire on October 1st. Uh, But we're kind of hoping that this decision is kind of settled by that point. And we're not that late in the process where there's still limbo going on with PJ. So before I throw it over to you, Chase, and this is like the last point I want to make about the situation. If if PJ does what Miles does and signs that qualifying offer, and let's just say 
the Hornets know, okay, we, we are probably not going to be able to keep both PJ and Miles because they're both going to be unrestricted. And they try to trade PJ. First off, a team that trades for him will not receive his bird rights. So that could lessen his trade value in the sense that a, a team that's taking him on realizes, okay, we don't we don't have bird rights. We don't have that extra advantage going for us. And also, too, PJ would have to consent to that that trade. So there's a lot going on here. Where do you fall in terms of what contract feels right to you? And obviously, I'm assuming it's it's higher than what the Hornets have been rumored to be offering. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way that I could put it is that the difference for me between what the Hornets are presumably offering, which is probably closer to the mid-level, like 12, 13, 14 million dollars, difference between that amount and you know, 18, 19, 20 that he wants is much smaller than the difference between, you know, 38 or 39 wins and 41 or 42 wins. Because like the Hornets are at a point where, especially with the core that they have, like that a lot of these players have been around and they've been to the play in twice, if not at least once before. Like it's you ha- kind of have to start taking these step forward steps forward in the standings and being able to finish in places in the year where you can put yourself in a position to actually make a run in the playoffs. Like finishing as the 10th seed every year is not necessarily a way to build and you can't really rely on the internal development all the time. Like they have already developed PJ into a high level, like impact rotation player that, I mean, surely it doesn't seem like many NBA teams are willing to pay him what he's asking for either. Like he's a restricted free agent. If someone right now was willing to like more than willing to pay him, whatever his asking price was, presumably something could have been worked out. But obviously most of the league is not on the same page as PJ. It's not just the Hornets, but even then, like we've talked about it before, like the small market thing, I think it's worth it for them to overpay a little bit in that regard for a player that is as impactful and as big of a part of the rotation as PJ. And is kind of like, he's the player that they're all that they'd be relying on. If they let him go, like if they let PJ go, you need JT Thor, you need Kai Jones, someone like that to take a very large step forward developmentally to get to the type of player that PJ is currently, which is someone that you drafted a couple of years ago and have been working to develop into the guy that he is right now. So it's kind of just like you're, it it was almost like when Malik Monk left and then the team drafted James Booknight, not that those things were like connected, but it was almost like you just kind of kicked the can down the road with this like explosive backcourt guard. And you, you just pushed off that extension four years into the future with a different guy that filled the same mold, but obviously that hasn't worked out in the same degree either, which is like, I fear that that could be kind of what happens with PJ, not in the same like exact, you know, step-by-step process, but like at this point in the off season, like if this was July is different story, but at this point in the off season, you're really not replacing him with anybody unless it's a sign and trade that recoups another, you know, backup spot starter, big man, which I don't know. That's just a very specific scenario. And to me, like, it's just worth the, extra couple million at this point to save yourself the the team building trouble that you would have like if he accepts the qualifying offer and you go in the next summer with miles and pj as unrestricted free agents that have had a no trade clause for a full season yeah yeah both are not coming back that's like nearly impossible to happen and i've said my piece before on pj on this podcast and how i feel about him i think if the hornets are holding firm to their offer i guess so be it but i just don't think like you that's the direction that they should go is he worth $20 million? Probably not, but he's certainly worth more than 12, 13, 14. 
I, I just don't think that 18, 19 million dollars, if you try to meet somewhere in the middle, is all that bad, considering that that's probably only going to be 14, 15 percent of the cap, give or take. I guess I think where, where I struggle with PJ, and I think I've said this before is the evaluation of his role. Like we see in this game where he's like the number one option and you know, he's not going to be this every night. This is not his role. He's going to be the third option at best fourth or fifth, probably in a starting lineup. And especially on a playoff team, you know, which is fine. You need players like PJ that can do a lot of the little things. But when you combine that with the money, does it make sense to offer a fourth option, $18 million a year? That's kind of where I struggle. I still like PJ a lot as a player. And, you know, we've said it plenty of times on the podcast, but the word that comes to mind with PJ, and we saw it in this game, and we saw it in other games where he does take a back seat, is the versatility. You see it on both ends where on offense, like he can be just a pick and pop guy, a pick and roll guy, but he can also put the ball in his hands and start playing out of the floater range. And then defensively, I think this is where a lot of people don't realize his value, just being able to guard up a position, down a position. Like he's got some physicality to him, even though he's undersized. So I'm like you. Like I think it's worth it to kind of up your offer a little bit. Like, But it, but is there a cap to you, Chase? Like what's the cap that you would actually offer him? I mean, obviously Hornets cap is way lower than your cap. Yeah, I mean – I mean, I, I probably something around that like $20 million range. Like I do, but just going forward, like, you know, we hear all this stuff about like the new TV deal that's going to come up, like, oh, the salary cap's just going to keep going up by, you know, what, what is it? 10%, I think like every year or something yeah. like that. And then, you know, three years down the road, what is 17.7 million average annual value going to actually look like? Like, I don't think that there's really any scenario um, that that turns into an albatross outside of like PJ getting injured, which is like, that's what happens to anybody that, that signs a big contract and then is injured for the duration of that. So you can't really hold that against them either. So it's kind of just like the, you, the only thing that you're holding out on is just kind of to be like, we don't think you're worth that much money. But at that point, who is because you didn't give it to anybody else either. Like they're, they didn't sign anybody. They haven't traded for anybody. The only other person that's coming up on that extension is Miles. And like, and this is this is something that uh, my podcast partner, James Plowright, brings up most of the time that we debate this is like, are you really going to pay your backup power forward like $18 million a year or something? And like, yes, I like I actually think that that's OK, depending on the, the way that the Hornets roster is is set up right now. Like you have your two main ball handlers are just your starting point guard and your starting shooting guard. So I think it's actually OK to have a backup big be like basically your highest paid role player that's not you know up getting up in that like upper 20 million dollar range where you know terry rozier lamello gordon hayward and whoever replaces gordon hayward's contract slot are going to be like miles bridges or something like there's got to be somebody in that like mid-tier salary range if not if not only for like trade purposes down the yeah. line like you could you can still easily move pj if it turns out that you don't like that value a year from now or something so i don't know there are just a lot more scenarios where it goes wrong if you don't sign him to an extension than where if you do to me. Yeah. And you talk about the trade piece. It's, it's almost impossible to trade him if he just signs the qualifying offer. Exactly. So yeah. You might actually have more value as a trade chip, you know, under a contract that's somewhat reasonable for, you know, multiple years. So, all right, Chase, I, I thought this conversation was good. It was good to look at that game that we went off for 43 points. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on PJ. I didn't realize you were that big of a fan uh, of him. Uh, we wanted to thank everyone for joining and, and listening to another episode 
Give us a five-star rating review on Apple Podcast and Spotify. We will definitely read an upcoming review on an upcoming episode. Chase, before we sign off, uh, go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find you and your work online. So you can hear me on the All Hornets podcast. You can search All Hornets on any of your podcast network. It'll come right up for you. I'm still writing on atthehive.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chase Whitney underscore. Um, tweeting about anything really basketball or sports related there. Doing a bunch of draft work on the side. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty, pretty much it. Thank you so much for having me on, Richie. This was a blast. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. All right, guys, for Chase, I am Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. Go Hornets.